0: Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Laura and I'm Dr. Elena and
1: you are listening to your Friendly Neighborhood Pediatricians, a podcast where we discuss all things pediatrics and parenting because as moms and pediatricians we know that raising children can be hard, hilarious, and everything in between. So let's get started.
0: Hi everyone, welcome to this special edition of your friendly neighborhood pediatrician. Today with us, we have Leah Hackney. Um, She is a pediatric registered dietitian who in her private practice works with families to provide nutrition guidance from babies for solids to raising body confident and healthy adolescents. With her knowledge and experience in pediatrics, she's also the CEO for parenting apps, BLW, meals for starting solids and kids meals for picky eating. Leah is passionate about supporting kids' natural ability to eat intuitively from infancy and learn how to have healthy relationships with food as they grow to become adults. You can find so many helpful tips on how to start solids with babies, picky eating, and raising kids to have a healthy relationship with food on Instagram at kids.nutritionist. And we will put all that information and her bio in our show notes so you can Follow her, check out her apps, check out um, her website, and just kind of follow up with some of the great stuff I'm sure we're going to talk about today.
1: Awesome. Well, welcome, Leah. Um, Elena and I have been talking, and I think there's so many different topics that we could discuss with you when it comes to pediatric nutrition. One of the big ones we wanted to touch on today, which is probably one of the most common uh nutrition topics we get asked about in our clinic is picky eating. Um, And obviously there's a variety of factors that can um, go into picky eating uh, and can differ by age group. But I think one of the biggest questions we get asked about is picky eating in toddlers. So many times we have moms come in, it's like the 18 month or two year visit. And they say, oh, my child used to be such a good eater when they were like 10 months, a year old they ate anything I put in front of them and they just kept eating and eating they had ravenous appetites and now I just feel like they don't eat anything and how can they be growing you know foods they used to love they're not eating so what is some advice you would give parents in that situation or some tips I know that's a broad question um but what are <laughs> what is some of your insight on that
2: yeah it's okay I also get that question all the time. (laughs) Um, And one thing that I like to really help parents realize is that there are some factors that are a little bit out of their control because developmentally, there are some big changes happening with kids around that time. So I like to kind of set the expectations for what's really realistic for a child around that time. And developmentally, we have some research that indicates... After around one year in this prime toddler age, where you say that 18 month mark, it mm-hmm. tends to be kind of almost on the dots for mm-hmm. some kids around that mark, where we start seeing increased selectiveness. Mm-hmm. Developmentally, there's some research that indicates there may be something um, called neophobia with toddlers. And um, neophobia is essentially the fear of food or fear of new foods.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, one of the hypotheses is that biologically, there's some big changes developmentally in their brain. They're starting to recognize food differently than when they were babies. So you may have had a baby who just kind of ate everything. They explored everything. They tasted everything. But now as the toddler, they're kind of coming into a different level of consciousness. They may not even remember some of those foods that they ate as a baby maybe they haven't been offered them in a long time and now when they're presented these new foods um, developmentally they're kind of like wait what this is strange it has a strange smell this is different than what i remember it and biologically there may be some changes with toddlers where um, they actually fear that food and the theory is that um it's protective of them from putting something in their mouth, maybe that they shouldn't have. So Mm. for example, bitter foods. Bitter foods tend to be in a lot of vegetables. (laughs) So it's usually Mm. a lot of things that um, parents would love their child to eat, but toddlers may be really averse to them Biologically, their brains may be telling them, hey, this is really strong. This is bitter. This is something I maybe should not be eating. When in reality, we're like, no, no, this is something we want you to eat. Mm -hmm. And so um, we kind of have to realize we're we're battling a little bit of biology, we're battling a little bit of development. And we're also needing to remember when was the last time I really offered this food? When was, you know, how consistent has it been? Has it been consistent that I offered broccoli? A ton of times but maybe there's a big gap where we didn't have it for a while and then you know a few months and then i tried it again and then suddenly they hate it really kind of reduce our expectations with when we're offering some of these foods i like to say even if they ate it as a baby we really have to have kind of repeated exposure over and over for them to have that imprinted on their palate and kind of on their food memory per se Mm -hmm. and what we can do in that moment when they do refuse that food is reduce our expectations try not to resort to pressuring or bribing i know that's very very difficult Mm -hmm. and sometimes it kind of just slips out where we're like you know what we just we want something to work we want them to take a bite but think about the long term and i think my best piece of advice for that moment is to really reduce the actual portion of Mm -hmm. that food It's way less intimidating when we have the tiniest little sprinkle of cauliflower or broccoli or the tiniest sprinkle of a food on the plate versus this larger portion that we hope that they eat. Mm -hmm. So think about the long run and try not to resort to too many short term pressure tactics, because sometimes those can really backfire.
1: Feeling of, oh, my gosh they're not going to grow. What's going to yeah. happen? And so I always, as a pediatrician, tell our patients, you know, if you're ever concerned, you can always come to us to monitor their growth, but you know, there's going to be days where they seem like they're eating everything in the house and there's going to be days they seem like they live off of two blueberries and air, but it, overall, and air. yeah, in yeah. air. And then- and bluey <laughs> and
2: whatever their Paw Patrol, yeah. and
1: whatever they're watching. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But Although they'll have those days, those fluctuations in their appetite over time, it evens out and usually they're growing beautifully. Um, yeah. Are there any other, so say parents have tried to expose their kids to foods multiple times and they've been patient and it's they just still feel like they're not um, making any progress. Are there Mm -hmm. any other like little tricks or, you know, creative tips you may suggest to parents to try to make it more fun or interesting for kids?
2: Yeah, yeah. I also kind of want to hop back onto your point because you made such a great point that I also want to emphasize is that kids aren't robots, babies aren't robots, and we're not robots. We Even if we ate the same thing every day, our bodies would still be different. We would have different levels of hunger based off of how much energy we expended that day, based off our environment, what's going on. We're sick. We're not sick. Mm -hmm. We really eat differently, even as adults every day and Mm -hmm. kids do that as well. So really looking at instead of it's so, I want to say too, like, as a mom, you get focused on the feeds from infancy, the bottle, eating Mm -hmm. that specific bottle amount, finishing that specific feed Mm -hmm. and, you know, or that breastfeed or breastfeeding for a certain amount of time, if you breastfeed. And in reality, sometimes that carries over into toddlerhood because we're really focusing on amounts because we've seen correlations with their sleep and their energy and how well they do. Mm -hmm. But Developmentally, growth does slow around that toddlerhood mark. It doesn't, in that first year, we're used to seeing them grow. They could double or triple their growth in that first year. And then it starts to slow. And then there's that panic that sets in as a mom or as a parent where we're like, what is happening? I swear they ate more as a baby. I swear, (laughs) you know, they, you know, I swear there were other things going on. And it does seem like they're surviving on air. So try not to focus on each individual meal, try to focus on even the week as a whole Mm -hmm. one day, they will eat more, just like what you said. And then the next day, it makes sense if they're, you know, if they start to trend down on some of how much they're eating, if they don't seem as hungry for dinner or for breakfast or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to reemphasize what you mentioned, cause it, it really is true that we do vary in how much we eat every day and that's okay. It does balance out nutritionally.
1: Yeah. And that's a in great point. Of- like I tell my patients, just like you said, you're going to many times triple your birth weight in a year. And then our rate of growth drastically slows and it's supposed to slow down. And so their appetites are going to slow down Mm -hmm. a little bit and that's okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I Um, think
0: parents sometimes have a hard time understanding that their kid is suddenly so mobile and they're like, oh, they must need more calories. Like there must be a problem. And, you know, the sort of idea that, yes, they're burning more calories, but their overall need may or may not be more than it was before because yeah. of their, their rate of growth, I think is really important when you kind of, you know, tell them like, we expect a, a slow of growth between, you know, six and 18 months, like mm-hmm. it's going to kind of plateau a little bit. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, just feed your baby, give them food and they'll be fine. I think it can go a long way to reassuring some parents that there isn't actually a, a growth issue going on.
2: Yes. I love that you added that like six to 18 months. Like that's, it's, it's so true. It really, it's over a spectrum. Right. Yeah. Going back to your tips on for these families that really are stressed, they're maybe really seeing something that feels different, feels off, maybe in their gut, they're just not sure. I always like to say as a parent, you know, your child best. Mm -hmm. So if there is something that is really feeling off trending wise, you're kind of just feeling like I'm doing something. I'm I'm trying to do this no pressure technique. I'm trying to offer it. I'm exposing them. I'm I'm modeling eating the same foods with them. Mm-hmm. Um, modeling eating that the same foods you're wanting them to eat is incredibly powerful for kids. They want to mimic us. They want to um, you know kind of be involved in what we're doing. They're learning from us every day. And if we're doing those things and we're really feeling like something in our gut is off, trust your gut and reach out to a professional. I really, as pediatricians, you are there to help and you're there to really see, do we need to monitor growth? Do we need to refer to a, a dietitian? Do we need to refer to speech language, pathology, something like that. But if you're just seeing that... It's maybe one or two particular foods, or maybe it's a certain kind of texture, or maybe it's something that is just, you know, they're, they're eating other types of foods. They're eating it in another way. They're, they're, you know, eating other food groups. Then one thing I like to do is to really take the pressure to sit back and take the pressure, not only off of them eating a particular food, but the pressure off ourselves. I find, um, by the time, you know, if it's a, if we're focusing on them not eating one particular food, but they're eating a variety of others, I find it really does tend to be okay and balance out. If your child doesn't like broccoli or kale, it is okay. <laughs> there are plenty of other foods that can meet those nutrient needs that those foods offer. Mm-hmm. Um, Lately with the rise of social media, you have access to seeing all these kids eating all these variety of foods. You have access to healthcare practitioners kind of at your fingertips, giving you tips and advice. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also have recipes and you have everything, you know, you have a lot of access to this, but this can also translate to us being really hard on ourselves that we aren't doing something right if we see these kids eating online, we see these recipes and then maybe we're like, you know what, tonight's going to be the night. I'm going to try that recipe. I'm going to try to blend the broccoli into a sauce or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I like to cut things in a beautiful way. (laughs) Exactly. And this pressure really, what, what, what I find happens is the pressure builds Even before the meal has started, we're Mm -hmm. looking and consuming at all of this information. We're processing it ourselves, trying to evaluate what is the one thing, that magical one thing that my child will eat, right? We're looking for that magical unicorn Mm -hmm. tip. And then we go to the store, we get the ingredients, we take the time, we make the food. And by the time the food is on the table, we are already like worked up and have been thinking about this Mm -hmm. for Hours, I want to say hours and even or days. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is we get to the meal and it gets a little bit high stress because we're, we may not outwardly be, you know, doing anything about it, but inwardly we might be like, okay, are they going to eat it? Are they going to take a bite? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to see Well, maybe if I say this one thing that they'll take a bite, maybe I'll do this magic thing or I move it on the plate or make this magic, you know, cut it a specific way. I'll make this, it'll make it happen. And then we're disappointed if it doesn't happen. And then that disappointment leads people to potentially want to pressure and or coerce or bribe. And at this point, the child is is um, slowly catching on that this is important that I eat this, but what if they're not ready? And what if they need more time? What if there's something different with the texture? What if there's something that they just need time to explore and process that food? But they're getting the feeling that this is something that really needs to happen and they're just it's kind of like you know i don't know if you when you remember trying to feed a baby after they're done they're done like they Mm -hmm. will like they will not (laughs) like when if you you know if if, no matter how much milk is in the bottle or how much you nurse them or whatever it's like they are done and you cannot get them to eat anymore yeah and so then you have that resistance because the child is trying to express like, Hey, I'm not ready or I'm not, you know, I'm, this is something I'm not ready to eat yet, or I'm done eating. And then that food battle comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, so in order to get this pressure off ourselves, first of all, understand that social media is not always this perfect place (laughs) that things are curated on social media To It can be amazing for access to information, but if you're finding you're consuming this nutrition information online and it's really stressing you out and you're hyper fixating on it, um, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics of foods that you eat personally, that you love as a family. Try to offer a variety of fruits and vegetables. Um, Try to really have your child explore those foods outside of the table. And I find that when we do that, we actually use different language around the food. We're actually a lot more relaxed about the food. We're actually a lot more casual about it. One of the best ways to do that is, you know, somebody like, I like to say like farmers markets, if you have access to them. I'm in Canada, so we don't always have access to them. But if you have access to farmers markets or if you have um you know if you take them to the grocery store with you, I know that can also be <laughs> a whole thing, (laughs) but if you take them to the grocery store with you and you just let them look at the food, explore it, have, have them pick out something that looks Mm -hmm. interesting, Mm -hmm. And then maybe say, Hey, uh, I, yeah, we actually haven't cooked that before. We haven't made that before. Let's try to pick out the best one, which one looks like the best one to you. And then they pick out the brightest color, whatever it is. And something about that speaks to them. And then you now have sparked a little bit of curiosity outside of the pressure to eat that food. You've just sparked that tiny spark of curiosity, curiosity can really lead to um, exploring that food down the road, touching and interacting with it. And then eventually with maybe repeated exposure in a low pressure, calm environment, they might be willing to to eat that food. Um, The steps to eating are not necessarily just putting it on the table and then they eat it. We sometimes have to really process food before it is even on our plate. Mm -hmm. Imagine you go to another person's house and they put something on the table and you have no idea what it is. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Us, even as adults, we try to relate that food to something that we previously have eaten or have liked. And we are even going through our own dialogue internally of Well, it kind of has this texture or it's shredded like chicken, but it doesn't look like chicken and it's cooked in a sauce. That sauce has a different smell. Like we are actually exploring food in that way, but we might not always realize it. Mm -hmm. And kids are doing the same thing too. So relating it, relating a food that maybe you're hoping they will like to try or eat in the long run, usually for a lot of parents, it's a lot of fruits and vegetables. Sometimes it's textures like meat. Sometimes it's other foods in particular that are culturally significant to them try to relate it back to something that they currently understand. For one, I have a specific memory of going to a farmer's market and they had these types of pears that was a different variety that I had had before. And the farmer described it as a hybrid between a cross of an apple and a pear. And then suddenly in my head, I was like, I know probably exactly what this is going to taste like. I know what the texture is going to be like. Sure. I'll try it. And that's exactly kind of what it was. It was like a cross between an apple and a pear and it had that crunch, but it had a little bit of a pear taste. Mm. And so when we use neutral language to describe food and talk about food like that, it's, it tends to be a little bit more natural versus some of these, you know, not everyone wants to to take the time to buy the specific utensil or buy the specific thing for this one magic bite to happen for them to eat their veggies or to eat produce. So exploring food in a way that's culturally significant to you is really impactful for the long run for their relationship with food.
0: That's It's so funny you say that. We are not a big veggie household. Like my husband and I eat lots of vegetables. My kids obviously you know, don't. They do a lot of fruit. Um, which I think was another question we had about balancing fruits and vegetables. And if you're more of a fruit eating family, can that counteract the low veggie intake? But we've been trying to get my middle one who says all everything green is gross to eat vegetables for her whole life. And she came home from school the other day and was like, I had broccoli. I love broccoli. And now she wants to have broccoli at every single meal. And it was such a, a Shift. And I think it's what you're describing so beautifully that, you know, continuing exposure in a non pressure sort of way, they'll try it when they're ready. And it's more likely that they're going to enjoy it. And it's something I think I tell my patients so often to just kind of put it on their plate. And if they eat it, wonderful. If they don't eat it, you know, wonderful, which is so different than how I grew up with, you know, you have to eat everything off your plate. And I think, yes, yeah, this, this, it's been such a, it's been so interesting to learn all this stuff, you know, on social media about like intuitive yeah. eating and whatnot. Cause it's so, it's kind of mind blowing for yeah. those of us who grew up in a, in cultures where it was like, you have to finish your whole plate and you have to eat it all. And we don't care if you don't like it. Yeah. Know?
2: What I find interesting about that statement too, is if you really look back generationally, um, not that long ago, we had generations that experienced the great Depression. Mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. not that long ago not that many relatives removed we had parents who experienced either or families someone around us experienced extreme poverty experienced lack of resources experienced war experienced all of these things that really affected food the way we approach food the food supply how thrifty we got with food and so some of those parenting messages and some of those food messages got trickled down mm-hmm. right they got trickled down on finish your plate, uh, be grateful, all of this stuff. And then now we're living in while we do have, while food prices are wild right now, Uh I will say, (laughs) and, and I don't know what everyone's social, um, economic situation is like, but now we have culturally an abundance of access to food in terms of you know, there are a lot more grocery stores than there used to be. There are a lot more restaurants, things like that. And so now we're actually dealing with, we have the food ability. We have that option of getting it onto the plate. And now we're like, but how do we quote unquote, get them to eat it. Uh And so sometimes those messages trickle down of that. We'll finish it, you know, just, just eat it, just finish it. Just be grateful. And we don't necessarily have to resort to those pressure techniques anymore because we also have seen the relationship to food really can be affected once once that has been instilled at a young age. Um, that can lead some people down the road to not really feel like they can trust their body to eat a, a specific type of food, to eat, not eat too much, to eat too little. So in that way... Now we're kind of going back to the basics of like let's just learn about the food, learn about it from the farmer, learn about it from the grocery store, and I really like to say if you're stressed about the food portions and food waste, small micro portions are the way to go. Like I'm talking about the your pinky nail, <laughs> you know, and and being okay with it not being eaten for a specific amount of time, remembering that it's a season of growth. It's a season for them and that we're fostering a relationship with food for life, not necessarily for that short-term immediate kind of nutrition gain. Uh And so that micro portion of whatever it is you're hoping that they eat, like you just said, if they don't eat it, it's okay because we can just keep exposing and showing that we enjoy that food is quite powerful. Like for example. Your daughter, I think it was the, your daughter that had the broccoli.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: maybe she saw someone at school eat it, or they cooked it at school, or maybe oh, it was yeah. like a cafeteria and something, and another child said something, or whoever it was around at the time. And a light switch went off, and she was like, Maybe I don't want to be left out. And maybe, maybe I'll try yeah. it. And maybe, you know, something happened and it wasn't it wasn't that pressure from us, (laughs) you know, we're their safe place and we're their people, but they can also get kind of that push and pull from us. They want to test our boundaries. They want to test, um, you know, how, how things go with us. And so, um, to them and your, to your, for your daughter's situation, I find that actually happens a lot. A lot of parents will say they eat great at daycare, they eat great at school and, but they won't eat dinner. and um it's a totally different environment and Mm -hmm. there are different expectations there are also kids around their age eating those foods so it naturally might be sparking that curiosity to get them to want to try it
1: one thing you mentioned um which we actually got a, a question about um is trying to model Um, that behavior for our children. Mm. However, we sometimes have parents that they themselves are very picky eaters or don't have a very broad palate, whether that's just their own personal preference or maybe from experiences of their childhood. Um, Maybe them and their spouse have varying palates. So um, one of our listeners asked the question, she said that her husband tends to be more of a, what she saw as an unhealthy eater, tends to prefer more of those like fast foods or junk foods. And he does not show that desire to uh, expand his palate and eat some more of what she saw as healthier foods. And so she wanted to know how does she create healthy eating habits for her children when, you know, there's always that tempt of um junk food or snacks uh fast food um in the house that dad prefers or um that dad you know will bring into the home
2: i you know what i read this question and i actually really had to think about it (laughs) (laughs) um, it it is a tough one and i find it's probably a lot more prevalent than we realize and maybe Mm -hmm. people are just feeling um like they're kind of just now uh really wanting to search for this kind of information so i don't know the relationship with the the partner or the spouse but it's something to explore on how you approach communication with them in general um because infringing on that too as a practitioner you know it's very personal from person to person spouse to spouse, partner to partner the one thing i would say though is those foods, you know, kids are going to have access to those foods. They're going to have access to them, whether it's in the home, or whether they're sixteen, get their car, and then the first thing yeah. they get their first job, or they get their allowance, and the first thing that they want to do is go <laughs> and get all these foods. Um, so they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have access to these foods. They're gonna see them around. Um, if depending on this, on every, and I want to also preface this too that everyone has kind of a different viewpoint on what they think health quote unquote is. And everybody has different levels of expectation for, um, what is considered healthy. And I also want to preface that one thing may be healthy for one person and it may not be healthy for another. Mm-hmm. So we each have varying nutrition needs. Um, for example, kids get their tonsils out or somebody has, you know, unfortunately kids do get cancer and sometimes eating ice cream for them is like a huge thing, you know? And so, whereas to other families, eating ice cream is something that is a treat or considered something more of a luxury or a little bit more restrictive. So I just want to preface that, that everyone has different nutrition needs. If you're feeling like you're on different pages with your partner, there are foods in the house that you're not really wanting your child to have unlimited access to it's okay to have loving boundaries around that food i would talk to your partner about what those loving boundaries are personally i wouldn't um go the route of the partner is eating these foods unlimited amounts in front of the children but then you're saying no you can't have that Mm -hmm. that's actually sending the message to the kids that the, the food that they're they're you know parent is eating is really appetizing it's really valued we've kind of then just put it on a pedestal Mm -hmm. of you know that's something now that I really want or that's something that I you know dad has this or mom has this and or whoever has this and now um you know as a parent or as adult like that's something that they want to achieve to get um and so really if we have that food in the house one way that I find that can help neutralize it for everybody is serving it with a regular meal. Now, <laughs> this has some caveats. Um, you, if, if you haven't done this before, the first thing you're gonna think of is what if they only eat that food and then nothing else? And I will say the first few times you do this, that may happen, that may absolutely happen. So be prepared. If you switch up your, when you're serving this food, that may happen. Over time, if you keep repeating this with, you know, making it not as big of a deal, serving it neutrally with other foods, then it becomes a little bit less of that, uh, you know, it it takes it off the pedestal. It becomes Mm -hmm. a little bit less of that prized food that they want to eat. But it does take time for that to occur. It's okay to have loving boundaries of if this is a snack food and you are offering it with a meal, if it's done, it's all done and they can move on to the other foods on their plate and they can choose which foods that they're going to eat at that, at that meal. You as the parent get to decide what foods are being served at a meal. So I know it's really tough and it's not a tantrum proof way. I know as parents, we want to like avoid tantrums, know. At, uh, you know, or we're trying to prevent tantrums before they even occur. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can really help to prepare the child. Hey, we're going to have chips with our sandwich and our whatever our veggies or something for lunch. When we're all done with this, you can have X, Y, and Z foods as an option. And if you're still hungry, um, One of the reasons I like to do that is because some of these packaged foods too, for some families are considered a little bit more of a luxury and they can be expensive. Um, I don't know, there's specific cookies or something, whatever it is that that this person eats. It's um, sometimes they're, if you really look at the cost breakdown, especially in this economy, they can be pricier. So, if you're purchasing these foods they're in the house you're wanting to make them last it's okay to have some loving boundaries around those foods um i would just speak with the partner and the spouse to get on the same page with that because eating them in front of the child without the child having access to them would be the route that i would not take <laughs> i would go more for let's expose the child let's teach them how to mindfully eat the food let's take it off the pedestal and then just leave it at that. Some kids, as soon as we take it off the pedestal are actually not as interested as we think they are. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we put that interest. Um, sometimes we plant that interest seed unintentionally, or we anticipate, Hey, they're going to love this food. Of course, they're going to want this over the carrots, or they're going to want this over the, the fruit, but I have seen over and over in my practice, kids can surprise you. They really can surprise you and try not to put our own fears and worries onto them about food. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's so great. I mean, it's definitely something that we've seen a lot of this idea that you put dessert on the plate or you mm-hmm. give, you know, dessert with the meals. Um, and it's something that we actually do in my household. Mm-hmm. I I saw it online and I was like, this is interesting. And, you know, we put the cookies or whatever it is on their plate. And what you're describing definitely happens. Sometimes they go straight for the cookie and they eat that first and then they eat their meals. Sometimes they'll eat it at the end. Sometimes it doesn't even get eaten. Um, and it's very, it's interesting to see how they, they work it into their meal as opposed mm-hmm. to only wanting to eat that. So it, I I agree. And they they have a, you know, they like sweets and so it can sometimes be a bit of a struggle but but it, <laughs> it's a great it's a great technique to take off the pressure off you as well mm-hmm. the sort of like yeah. you know you can eat what you want don't eat what you want there's your dessert eat it if you want it mm-hmm. you know without it tying it to any sort of act of eating the vegetables or eating their protein or, or whatnot yeah. yeah exactly i love to hear that <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, we've been trying to do some of that in our house more recently, too, because we were at the phase where, like, my son would just try to eat a couple bites and be like, okay, can I have dessert? Can I have dessert? You know, like a rush to dessert. And it's like you, you get in that cycle of, well, how many bites did you take? And that's, you know, not the cycle we want to be in. And so right. more recently, I've um, been putting a piece of, you know, a cookie or something on his plate. And, I, yeah, just like Elena said, I've had days where that's all he wants to eat. Or I've had days where he eats some dinner and then he eats his cookie and then he goes back for more dinner, which is great. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And it's and hard. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no I was gonna say, because I think a lot of too, we have that in our household too, when we know that we're getting ice cream after dinner, that my kids are like, oh, I'm done. I'm full. I'm done. Yeah. And I'll be like, are you really? I'm like, you're going to get ice cream anyway. So just mm-hmm. eat what you want to eat. Yeah. Um, and, and we're not eating it until everyone is finished because a lot of times they'll rush through and my husband and I are still eating. Yeah. Like, we're waiting until everyone is done to have ice cream, but you can eat as much or as little as you want. You're still going to get it so that it doesn't become tied to what they're eating. And by now I've learned like my, my oldest is a big fruit eater and sometimes that's all he'll have for dinner. And I really have to like push down that, no, you need to eat some protein and you need to eat some starch because you can't just have blueberries for dinner. <laughs> he's happy with it. And then, you know, it's not like he's hungry, so. Yeah, and it evens out.
2: I, I really right. do find mm-hmm. it truly evens out nutritionally. Um, and I can say this from, as somebody who has done diet analysis of kids where we've I've I've looked at their intake, I've looked at their intake over multiple days, I've done the calculations. It really does tend to even out over multiple right. days. Um, and I, another thing that you kind of touched on is that some kids, I don't know if you found this with, with your own kids, they will front load or back load their nutrition. I kind of yeah. use those terms where yep. in the morning yeah. they may be, they may be what we would call consider quote unquote, better eaters where they might finish more of what we eat or what we offer and they have seconds or even thirds. <laughs> And mm-hmm. they might do that in the morning. They might do that. Some kids do that right after school. If they're starving after school. They have like a massive snack. But then by the time dinner comes around, um, they're maybe not as, as hungry. Mm-hmm. And we really have to think back on, okay, they've had multiple eating opportunities throughout the day. They've had breakfast, maybe a morning snack, maybe lunch, maybe an evening snack. And then by the time dinner comes around, they may have already even met their nutrition needs. hmm Earlier that day. So, that little plate of blueberries for for him, it's like that extra thing that he might love that he needs. And right. it's okay. Um, a lot of parents come to me, and I think because I'm in the throes right now of this four month sleep regression with my son, <laughs> a lot of parents come to me worried that if they don't eat dinner, will they wake up hungry in the middle of the night? Um, and I personally find it is quite rare. It is quite rare that a lot of kids wake up, especially after a certain developmental age mm-hmm. with infancy. It makes sense, right? With infancy, we need those calories at night, the nutrition at night to meet their needs because they're having more naps during the day. They're not as awake during the day. Um, once they're hitting that toddlerhood, once some of the sleep I I know sleep is such a touchy subject, but once sleep cycles are starting to regulate a little bit more, um, they're getting more used to sleep uh, sleeping at night. Typically, the way adults or the way the parents but in their household do, um, I find it's quite rare that they actually do wake up for hunger. Mm-hmm. Might wake up for comfort. They might wake up for thirst or something like that. They might wake up. But I find it quite rare that parents need to wake up and make like a full snack or meal in the middle of the night. Yeah. So if that is happening and that's something that's really occurring, then let's evaluate that. That's, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Let's see what's going on. But I want to say, you know, attaching that fear. I, I, I personally see that sometimes that fear of them waking up at night has been like almost, uh transpired from infancy like that, that oh whatever mm-hmm. you know, those, those sleepless nights are ingrained in us. Yeah. And it's one of those things we don't want to repeat as much as possible. And so then we, we really do actually have a legitimate fear of that occurring. So we're, we're, we might put pressure on ourselves or the kids to finish dinner. Cause we're used to that. We've had those experiences with that child at night okay. <laughs> when they were babies but it's so different with toddlers. It's so different once they're older. So try not to use the sleep excuse as some reason where they have to have those extra bites of something, because nutritionally one or two bites of any kind of food typically doesn't make or break
1: nutrition. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well thank you so much. This has been so helpful. Um, I'm yeah. sure we could talk for hours and there's so many more topics we would love to talk to you about. I think um, like baby led feeding would be another great topic that uh-huh. you know I'm currently in the middle of with one of my <laughs> children um, and will be on your horizon soon probably. Yeah. Um, and I know you have an amazing app that can lead uh, families through that. So I would love if we could um, meet with you again to discuss other topics of pediatric nutrition, but this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so yeah. much.
2: Thank and, you so much. And I'm happy to talk about more. <laughs> yeah. um, and just
1: remind our families where they can find you online for some of your content um, and an educational information and tips for parents.
2: Yeah, so I am mostly on Instagram right now. Um, My Instagram uh, handle is kids.nutritionist. And um, I'm still kind of working on developing my website and blog. So it's a little bit underway, but you can find it um, under the link in my Instagram. And then the two apps that I manage are um, baby led weaning meals app and then kids meals app as well for picky eating. And these um, are free to download on both Apple and Android. We have a lot of free information there. We have some free recipes, some free guides for picky eating for the kids app, and a lot of free guides for um, families just starting solids and really trying to navigate a lot of the online information. Um, we have some pediatric feeding teams with speech language pathologists, behavior analysts, um, and we contract work with other pediatricians and other healthcare professionals too, to really make sure our information is evidence-based and, and also, um, realistic <laughs> for families too. So, um, we really work to just put out new information on the apps and hopefully we know that most people have their phones on them, um, mm-hmm. throughout the day okay. and whether it's that, um, their phones or whether it's a caregiver or, um, somebody else taking care of their child, they can have access to that, to that information too. So, um, that's mostly where you can find me is on Instagram or, um, through
1: the apps as well. Wonderful. Well, Great. thank you so much, Leah. Thank we love to talking to you again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Remember that you can find us on Instagram at YFNPeds. Please feel free to leave us a message if there are any topics that you would like us to discuss. See you next time.